everyone. This is Rena Kinsey, Executive Vice President of People and Culture at Emerald and Advertising Week. On today's episode, I'm speaking to Dr. Shanda Macias. Dr. Macias earned her MBA in Supply and Chain Management from Rutgers University and her PhD in Cellular Biology from Howard University, where she was later the Director of STEM Education in the College of Engineering, Architecture and Computer Sciences. Dr. Shonda Macias is a trailblazer in the legal cannabis industry. In 2015, she became the country's first woman of color, medical cannabis operator as CEO of National Holistic Healing Center in Washington, DC. A few years later, she became the first woman of color as a multi-state operator in the United States as the CEO of Lara Holistic Healthcare. As the chairwoman of the board of managers and CEO for Women Grow, which is the global leader in connecting, educating, inspiring, and empowering the next generation of women leaders in the cannabis and hemp industry, Dr. Shanda leads the organization's mission to educate women entrepreneurs and patients. Dr. Shanda, thank you so much for being here. You have an incredible background in STEM and research, including a PhD in cellular and molecular biology from Howard University. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how it led you to the work you do today? Ren, I sure can give you a little bit more of my ideologies, how they evolved from when I was a young, impressionable scientist at Howard University. My story actually began because I saw a high incidence of women with breast cancer, and I started to do research regarding the BRCA1 gene, which is, um, it can actually become a very aggressive form of breast cancer. And in my research, what I found is treating the symptoms of breast cancer, people use cannabis. And it just resonated with me and my work at the time. So I continued to study different forms of cancer research and start to look at these alternate methods to treat it, specifically using cannabis. And when I got to my doctoral work and I started to see um, how prostate cancer in men metastasized to bone, and again, a more slow, progressive ailment and condition in comparison to the aggression of the breast cancer research that I had done, I still find the same thing is that treating the symptoms of using um, after chemotherapy, radiation, and immunotherapy, that using cannabis really helped the patient. And that's where my work really stemmed from. What was interesting is that at the time, it was highly illegal in I hate to date myself, but when you think about the late 90s, you think about incarceration rates and how that cannabis was really um, uh, the center of the war on drugs. And being from a historically Black college and university, we decided not to study it at that time because of the legal nature of cannabis. Oh, wow. That's a great background. Thank you so much. And how has that academic background and your PhD played a role in breaking down barriers and misconceptions in the industry? 
What's very interesting is that now my education as a cellular biologist that focused on cell signaling pathways and specifically um, the endocannabinoid system, which is a cell signaling pathway in everybody's body, how it uses cannabis to restore health and homeostasis and what we consider a good balance. And using that information and helping patients treat themselves with cannabis has really helped one with their ability to have a better quality of life. Two, it started to resonate with the healthcare industry that cannabis does provide solutions to different symptoms and ailments. And that three, that before it was looked at as being very stigmatized. And even when I entered into the industry, I was viewed very differently, even though I had a very strong professional background, that today with changing legislation, especially in the federal government, that it's an open door for research to help people and patients in healthcare methods today. So it definitely has evolved from going from raids to now being a, a very strong candidate to help with overall well-being and patients that need it. And in the middle of where it is now and where it was back when you were in Howard, what kind of support systems and networks did you find valuable in your journey, especially because you were trying to overcome adversity in the industry that was also stigmatized? What's interesting, Ren, is that as a young student at a HBCU, I was well aware of a lot of issues that stem from not only race, institutional racism, but also being a woman. And it definitely that education provided me with the background of standing in my truth and moving forward despite what others might feel about me and who being whom I am. And I felt like I was equipped with the education, being able to philosophize on cell biology and therefore different research methodologies and research patterns and trends that I saw that standing in my truth and standing up for the patient that couldn't advocate for themselves was my responsibility as a healthcare provider. Did you have pushback from health providers that tend to stay closer to Western medicine and not so much in the, in the cannabis and other holistic ways of treating illnesses? What's interesting, Ren, is that I had a lot of pushback from traditional medical doctors, um, I had pushback from scientists and other professionals, and I had pushback by the community in general to enter into the cannabis industry. And I think that with that pushback, what that really looked like to me is that people tried to attack my credibility. I found that a lot of times in patients wanting to use cannabis, 
that their healthcare professionals were not equipped to treat them with cannabis or alternate forms. So instead of educating themselves in in the cannabinoid system, they decided to go on certain rampages and and disagreements about the efficacy without really knowing or understanding how it has helped and progressed healthcare in America today. And then I have to also focus that the community pushback was huge. It was unbelievable where people felt that cannabis was selling a drug and it was harmful for the community. And they did not understand the benefits of cannabis until it impacted their circle of influence itself. So what that meant, it wasn't until their mother developed cancer and they wanted to help their mother or their sister or their brother, where they were open to the usage of cannabis just to help the patient and patient care. Wow. And the legal and regulatory landscape for cannabis varies widely. I mean, even in the past couple of years, we've seen that. How have you navigated these complexities? Is it different doing in a medical research environment than versus, you know, the B2B environment? Navigating policies and compliance from a state to state level has been very challenging for the cannabis professional that focus on healthcare. And it is my responsibility to educate those that are responsible for making those policies. So I wish that my 100% focus could be on patient care, but in fact, I spend over half of my time lobbying in the federal government through my work with the National Cannabis Roundtable fighting for patients' rights, fighting for research, and fighting for safe access every day. And with the federal legislation, we were able to get certain rights. For example, research now is allowed on a cannabis plant. We hope to have descheduling completed by the end of this year on the federal level. And so those incremental changes, along with social justice changes, for example, I met with the White House under the Biden administration, and six months later, we were able to get pardons for over six thousand people that had simple marijuana possession charges. So for me, I have to work on a federal level as well as a state level to have patients be able to have safe access to a plant that I know is medicine. You mentioned a little bit about the social justice issues. How do you balance the pursuit of innovation and progress in the cannabis industry with the need to address social justice issues, particularly because of the communities that are disproportionately impacted by this? You know, Ren, there is not a balancing act with that, but 
when you are one still considered a, a woman and a minority it goes hand in hand in order to make sure that people like yourself are represented in a billion dollar industry so for me speaking with our constituents in congress speaking with state level politicians to make sure that social equity is included because of the population of minorities that were incarcerated for a plant, that were patients that were incarcerated for medicine is one, not fair and it's unheard of, it's unconstitutional. And then the second aspect is that because they were disproportionately impacted for them to not have access or for us not to have access in the industry that can provide generational wealth to our community is just unfair. And so these programs are not optional on a state to state level. They should all be mandatory in fighting each state and having our voices heard and bringing awareness to these different issues surrounding social equity and social justice reform is just our responsibility when we enter this industry as a woman of color. Love that. And because you're so passionate about both the medicinal use and also the social injustices, how do you balance the disappointments that come from being such an advocate? I am in animal advocacy. I'm a big animal advocate. And there are days when some of the things I read or some of the, the stuff that I see, I just it takes me a while to, to kind of like decompress and come back and still have the energy to fight for it. I'm sure any social injustice issues is the same, if not even worse. How do you cope with that? How do you cope with the disappointments? Ren, it was very hard in the beginning to deal with the disappointments because I felt that when I lost the battle that I lost the war. And what I know today is that having that emotional intelligence is the key factor to long-term leadership. And my community needs me to be who I am and stay strong because they have to have that advocate that's willing to put their career on the line to push uh, a medicine initiative that will benefit millions. So for me, I think that always going back and understanding that this is not an overnight solution, that I'm going to lose battles, but I'm out to win the war. The war might be 20 years from now, but I'm not giving up. And I just ask God to give me the strength every day to renew a right spirit within me so I can continue to represent those that can't represent themselves. I represent children that have autism, epilepsy. I represent elders that have Parkinson's, have MLS. I think like... Um, I represent the cancer patient that goes out and walks with the pink ribbon. And I have to continue to do this for their safe access. It's not optional for me to pull back and say that enough is enough. If anything, I need to find a way to get more people to stand beside us and fight for our right to have access to 
an alternate form of medicine. Love that. They're so lucky to have you as part of their cause. And as a pioneer in the medical cannabis field, how do you see the industry evolving in the coming years and what opportunities and challenges do you foresee? So, Ren, in the next couple of years, there's going to be a lot of change. And the change is depending on our economy, is changing on the research efforts that we have through the National Institutes of Health or other academic sources. It's going to also change by the participation of Big Pharma. And I see all these things coming into ahead in probably the next three to five years. And what that means is that those that are small businesses need to prepare and strategize how to stay relevant during this period. Two, I think that we have to continue to fight for safe banking or the Safer Banking Act that is currently in Congress so these small businesses can continue to have access or get access for funding and just to have bank accounts in the cannabis industry. I think also in terms of the pharmaceutical industry and FDA regulation on formulations, it's gonna impact just the simplicity of the cannabis industry, meaning that I think more indication formulas that are driven for specific ailments and conditions are going to be subsidized by healthcare. And I think all these different things don't cancel out each other, that they can coexist with each other. But I think it is about setting boundaries and setting expectations on how to move forward with keeping social justice reform in mind, being those that were incarcerated, that have records, that are currently productive citizens, get their records expunged and become backed to an industry or participate in the industry or in just life without having these records to hold them down. And throughout your career and maybe even now, were there mentors or role models who played a significant role in your journey? Oh, definitely. You know, just being from Howard University, I think that um, my major influence was Dr. Winston Anderson. He was uh, my dissertation advisor and recognized for his contribution in STEM education through the Obama administration. Um, He has been pivotal to the education and the development of over I'm going to say what I know today, 3,000 doctors, whether they're PhDs, MDs in the healthcare space. And I think that having the integrity of having mentors as himself, as well as Dr. Orlando Taylor, who was the dean of the graduate school, which is now the president of the University of Washington School of Psychology, was also very important because if we have the science without having the education to be able to communicate our works, which he did definitely, I would say, set that expectation in me every day, I don't think I would have ever became the person that I feel that I am today. So those two mentors definitely had their impact, but 
I'm going to say this. My mother was a healthcare advocate at DC General Hospital and DC General Hospital in Washington, DC provided healthcare for those that didn't have access to insurance plans that provided healthcare to the local prison um, there. And we fought like hell to keep that hospital open. And she represented those that could not represent themselves. When HIV and AIDS became an epidemic, she took care of those patients where a lot of her colleagues refused to give them the health care they desired. So for me, I think that spirit of fighting for those that couldn't fight for themselves came from Charlene Gordon, RN. She was recognized at Georgetown Hospital, DC General, and many other establishments as really taking care of a patient as a nurse should. So I definitely give her the kudos and the, the mindset she set into me to continue to fight for patient rights. And you are paying all those mentorships forward with Women Grow. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and, and how you're paying it forward? Rin, that is a very special place for me. Women Grow is the largest network of women in the cannabis industry. We educate, connect, inspire, inspire the next generation of leaders that want to enter into the industry. And for me, it was important that I set up a platform along with many other women that support our endeavors every day to encourage women to enter it in the space of entrepreneurship, advocacy, and just general patient rights. And with that, we have a reach of over 2.5 million, and we are able to celebrate women and their accomplishments in this industry. So for me, it's just not enough to say that it's important that we give back. We have to give back through our platforms. And we're really happy about the progress of these women entrepreneurs that are either in the, the small business space with their plant touching businesses, their ancillary businesses, or even their consulting businesses that they're able to really benefit and participate in this industry. And for those who may have not entered the field yet, but are thinking about it, what advice would you give to them, to young professionals, particularly women and people of color who aspire to enter and succeed in the marijuana industry, but haven't really gotten a chance to do so yet? If you want to enter into the um, the cannabis industry, what is so important is to start exactly where you are. If you are an accountant, what's important is just learn the laws of the 280E. Learn about what COGS are acceptable, which ones aren't, what expenses, and just pivot exactly where you are. When I think about marketing, we're not a lot of advertised in a lot of states. Cannabis period and Facebook and Instagram has just blockages on it. So there's different ways to have grassroots 
campaigns that spread the word about cannabis and its benefits. But if you're in the marketing industry and you pivot into this niche market, I believe that you will be very successful because you already have the skills and the tools necessary to help people with those services. So that is my advice, Ren, to everyone that is interesting interested in the cannabis industry, start where you are and just pivot. What I don't like to see, and I'm very cautious because it is a risk and a return, is that someone that has never grown the plant to say that they want to cultivate. I think exposing yourselves to the real realities of cannabis can also maybe set you back a little bit because there are so many differences with for example, accounting and cultivation. So if that's your passion, then I say learn how to cultivate. But really the easiest pivot and the most fruitful pivot is to start exactly where you are. That's wonderful. You've done a lot of contributions within the medical cannabis field. Is there one where you feel like it's your proudest achievement? Yeah, um, it's a little sensitive. And so let's see if I can get through this example, Ren. But what we deal with at Women Grow and also um, in different organizations is that when you have a child that needs cannabis in order for them to just have life, for example, your child that's written with epilepsy, or even autism, what we see in the industry is that these mothers and the children have to move to become refugees and go to a state that does give them access to cannabis medicine. And so with this trend, we saw a big wave of people go to Denver back in the early 2009 period to be able to get treatment for their children, dividing their households up in two. And so when Pennsylvania came online, there was something called the Safe Harbor Act. Now, one thing I can say about Pennsylvania, the parents that supported their children that suffer from autism, whether it is uh, moderate or severe on the spectrum, that they had very strong voices and I heard their voices. And so legislation was implemented, one, for the safe harbor of cannabis from Denver or from Colorado into Pennsylvania so parents could te um, treat their children with autism. And out of that, there was a remarkable mother that came to our attention, her name was Erica Daniels. And Erica said, my son Leo needs a specific medicine that does not have nuts, that has very strong restrictions. And these medicines that we have from other places are not necessarily doing the trick. So we sat down with Erica Daniels and we derived at a formula of cannabis-based medicine and we called it hope. And hope wind up being the hope that so many parents needed for their children. And I witnessed myself when a nonverbal child said hi to their mother for the first time. And today we see that hope is raising currently for our FDA clinical trials 
They have been, uh, Hope has been studied for moderate and severe autism. And for me to give an innocent life, a child, a chance of having a quality of life is the reason why we do this every day. So I thank Erica Daniels, one, for her voice and fighting for her child, Leo. Though I support the autism community in so many different ways, but I thank them for giving me the purpose to fight for their rights. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And as we wrap up in navigating adversity, what key piece of advice would you offer to aspiring entrepreneurs or leaders based on your own experiences? I have to say for those that really want want to enter into this space is that you have to educate yourself on the realities of just running a business. I want you to be equipped. I want you to be successful. And I think there is so much room of opportunity here for you. I think if I reflect on the biggest barriers for myself, it was funding. I It's hard for women to get funding, period. And then you put minority status on it. And then you put cannabis industry on it. And it was I had to bootstrap everything. So definitely think about the challenges that you may have financially and able to obtain funding to run a successful business. I think also, though, for my, um, I'm going to say the community that were, was impacted by the war on drugs, whether it was the single mother that lost her husband that was incarcerated or even her son, and that circle of generational institutional racism that really impacted their lives, I say that it's your time to fight back for, one, your rights. And your rights is that those that were incarcerated, those that have records, those records need to be expunged. And you have to have your voice to do that. You have to find a means to do that because typically expungements can run between a thousand and four thousand dollars just to clean a record. And there's many states that are out there now that have implemented programs by their state legislation to help remove those offenses off of their records. And it does give you a clear option to start life again. And I say that don't stop. You have to be persistent and not just think about yourself in either case. You have to think about the generations that will come behind us, your sons, your grandsons, your great, great grandsons. If we don't fight for these changes now, it's a great possibility that they'll be impacted later on. So it is our responsibility to uplift our future generations and make that path to equality and equity more achievable for them. So inspiring. Thank you so much, Dr. Shanda. I really appreciate your time with us today. You're a blessing, Ren, and thank you for letting me have a voice to share with this community that can implement change. My pleasure. Thank you.